Hey, bub. Yeah, man, what's up? What's your favorite thing about Christmas? The gifts. Well, guess what? I'm giving away a gift today. What you giving? First, let me tell you how to get it. All right. Go to our Facebook page, The Crucial Conversation. Make sure you like it and inbox us your favorite episode so far. The very first person to do that is going to get a free gift from The Crucial Conversation. You've heard about our awesome sponsor, The Drifted Drum Company. Well, guess what? Dr. April Jones is giving away a free signed copy of her book, No Mess, No Message. This book will inspire you and make you live more intentionally and on purpose. Go to thedrifteddrumcompany.com and type in promo code CRUCIAL and get 10% off anything you order. But if you want that free gift, the very first person who goes to our Facebook page, make sure it's liked and inbox us your favorite episode thus far. We're going to send you a copy of our book from Dr. April Jones, No Mess, No Message. But make sure that you're liked and your favorite episode thus far. Who else you got, Brian? Well, there's so many great options we can choose from because we do have some fantastic sponsors. Uh, one sponsor that I would make note of is Jonesboro Cycle and ATV. Now, this is a big sponsorship because, again, when you talk about Christmas, what's one of the best things about Christmas is getting those gifts. I like those gifts. And there's not a gift you can give somebody better than the gift of a smile. And you've never seen anybody on an ATV with a frown on their face. They're always, <laughs> they're always happy. If you're on a motorcycle, they're always smiling going down the road. Unless they're in a biker gang, they're not allowed to smile. But, hey, at Jonesboro Cycling ATV, you can shop around online at their inventory. Look at their inventory online at www.jonesborocycle.com. Or you can call them today and just inquire about what all I've got going on at 1-870-935-2887. I'll tell you what, if there's anything you see there that you really like or that's online, you can put in promo code CRUCIAL and you'll get 10% off your entire order. Go by and see our friends at Jonesboro Cycle. Another good friend of the company is Anderson Heat and Air. Yes. This guy is top-notch, Brian. We call him a friend on the podcast and off the podcast. Right. He's a good friend of ours. His name's Nate Anderson, but we call him Nat. Nat is a great guy. It don't matter if you just put up a new house and you need somebody to come by and make sure all the installation's good, or if you want him to install it, or maybe you're living in the dump of a house and you need a new unit. He'll come by. He'll take care of your heat. He'll take care of your air. Maybe it's a little stuffy at night. He'll find out where that air is leaking to, and he'll get you taken care of. Tell him that Brian and Tony from The Conversation sent you. You can call him at 870-664-1967. And if you're living in that dump of a house and you just want to get out, Brian, do you have any suggestions? Well, of course, I have a, one suggestion that everybody should greatly consider, and that is Live Oak Realty. Dustin Thomas is going to hook you up. I mean, you're going to get the upgrade of a lifetime whenever you get in touch with him. He is going to go. He's going to negotiate on your behalf for you to get the home of your dreams. There's no reason to be living in the home of your nightmares. You need to get in the home of your dreams. The way you can contact them today is you can check out their website at listwithliveoak.com. Uh, Dustin, again, has got years of uh, experience in real estate. He was there whenever I went to purchase my first home. Tony, he was there whenever you went. When we got our home. Dude, I tell you what, there is nothing better than having somebody that's on your side. And Dustin's on your side through the whole process. You know what? Tell him the conversation sent you. See if he don't give you a smile himself. Yeah. Uh, and one thing, working with Dustin, it's as smooth as butter. And you know what? There's not a better place to get butter from. Than I, I hold up. 
Uh, chef's butter. Oh, that yeah. secret stuff that's not even on the menu at Lazari Italian. Talking oven. about talking about warm, homemade, creamy. Butter. They make it lumptious. in house, melting on the bread. You, listen, mm. I want you to just imagine right now. You've got a, a piece of bread cut. It's in your hand. Talk about it. You've got the case knife in in the other hand. You Come put on, it down. Talk about it. Put it down in that butter, and you you scrape it off. And nice and soft. Yeah, and so you t- you take care of that bread because mm. that bread is going to taste legit. Take it, dip it down with that butter in that crushed bread, black pepper. If listen, if you're not hungry right now, there's something wrong with you. There, there just is. I mean, I'm not here to offend anybody. We're not we're not the the confrontational right, conversation. I'm out of here. But but listen, listen. I'm just asking you to consider. I'm out of here. You, you want your family taken care of. You want where where are you going? I'm going to Lazari's. You got me. Oh oh, he's leaving. He's going to Lazari's. Oh snap, he's gone. He's gone. And so, listen, Tony's on his way. He'll meet you down at Lazari Italian Oven today. Go down there. They're going to treat you right. You can get, uh, go to the restaurant. They're located at 2230 South Caraway Road in Jonesboro. Or you can call them today at 870-931-4700. And let them know that the conversation sent you. So, everybody, we've got an incredible guest that you're going to tr- enjoy in a tremendous amount right now. This podcast was inspirational to Tony and myself whenever we first sat down with him. And we know this conversation is going to make a difference in your life. You know, David was anointed. You know, there's different theological debates on uh, when he was anointed to be the king. Some say 15, some say 17. Anyway, he was a teenager. Uh, But he was 30 years old before he ever put a crown on his head. And I think we, we miss that, you know, because uh, we, we think that just because I, I God called me, I'm supposed to be preaching conferences and I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to have my name in the marquee. No, there's a time, you know, I, 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 I say, you know, there's a time when you're anointed and then there's a time when you're appointed. I think either way, you have to, you can't let it get in your spirit, number one whether it's an accidental hurt or on purpose hurt. Because if you let it get in your spirit, then it's going to affect every aspect of your life. Believe me, I've been there. I've done that. I've had people hurt me without knowing they did, and I never even told them. Then I've had people that just hurt me on purpose just because they were mean and they wanted to hurt me. Hey, guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Brian, it was earlier this year that we had a man by the name of Michael Maupin come into our church here at the Pentecostals of Jonesboro. And little did our church know they were in for such a great, great, great surprise with a tremendous preacher. And we are lucky enough to have him with us tonight on the podcast. Brother Maupin, thank you so much for making, first of all, making time for us. You're, you're a world-renowned preacher now and uh, making that drive to come visit with us. We, we don't take it lightly, Brian. I, we want to say welcome. Well, thank you for the kind words, and it's an honor to uh, be here. I'm humbled by you guys asking me to be here. Well, we, um, let's get right in. You want to? Sure. So we, um, on our podcast, we like to talk a lot about ministry, backstories, who you are, where you come from. Um, tell us a little bit about 
where you come from. How'd you get involved in this? Okay, um, I grew up in East Tennessee. I was uh, living in uh, Maryville and Knoxville. Uh, we were attending. Uh, uh, me and my, I have two brothers, one older, one younger than me. Uh, my parents had sacrificed to put us in Apostolic Christian School out of Brother McCool's church, and uh, we uh, went there our entire lives, kindergarten through twelfth grade. And my parents worked so much that we didn't really get a whole lot of time to go to church because they would have to work on weekends and so it was through the ministry of that Christian school that um, me and both my brothers we all three were baptized in Jesus name filled with the Holy Ghost during during school like during chapel service revival services and so um, looking back now I probably uh, at a young age even didn't realize it but probably felt a call to ministry at that young age I remember um, a, uh, a school end of the year school program that we did that it was uh, a, about a missionary and uh, and it was during that that play I, I, I told the, the person over the director of the, the musical I said I, I feel like I'm going to do missionary work one day and you know at that time I was just a kid and I just I just had felt a burden for it at a young age and uh, went to school graduated um, wasn't really in church all the way like I should be, um, just kind of on the outskirts. Graduated high school, um, started college, and it was in college that first semester I started uh, feeling like I was supposed to give God more than what I was giving him and, and was feeling conviction. Started, uh, went to my pastor and started uh, at, asking questions and talking to him about getting more involved in church. And uh, the doors just started opening for me there at the local church and uh, uh, got to... Um, teach Sunday school and things like that, sing in the choir, work with the youth group. And uh, later on about, later on that year, I started feeling my call to ministry, went to my pastor, and he said, you know, just keep being faithful, keep praying, and we'll see what happens. And that was, uh, that was 1996, and, and then I just stayed faithful, and uh, I was always – Please, I don't want to. I don't want y'all to think anything I'm gonna say is I'm bragging on myself. I'm just trying to tell you where, how I got sure, to yeah, where I'm absolutely. at today. Um, I was I was just every service. I was on the front pew. I mean, I, I, that was my spot. I was there, taking notes, faithful, doing anything I could. If there was a, a work day at the church, I was there. If there was a prayer meeting, I was there. If there was a youth event, I was there. I just was engrossed with the church and uh, just couldn't get enough of it. And um, Several years went by, and then I finally, um, my pastor, I was actually at a work day, and I tell this uh, story a lot of times to young ministers um, whenever I'm teaching classes on, on, on ministry. I, I tell them, you know, the first time my pastor ever asked me to preach, I wasn't in an altar service on a Sunday night. I wasn't speaking in tongues. I wasn't in a prayer room. I was had a wheelbarrow full of rocks. We were cleaning uh, the property beside our church, uh, getting ready to build the new auditorium that the McCools are in now. And we were clearing all that property and trying to get it ready. And uh, I had a wheelbarrow full of rocks, I had a t old dirty T-shirt. I was sweaty and muddy and and just, you know, gross. And Bishop McCool walked by me, and he just didn't even stop me. He just walked by me and said, be ready to preach Wednesday night. And I almost dropped the wheelbarrow. I started shaking so bad. And so, um, you know, I tell I tell young ministers, you know, it's you you got to be found working. You know, when Elijah Elijah found Elisha, he was plowing a field. He wasn't playing video games. He wasn't 
uh, hanging out. You know, he wasn't p- playing sports. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but he was doing something uh, when uh, when he got anointed to be the next prophet. And so I, I tell young people, you know, you need to find something to do in the church before you ever get in a pulpit. You need to be uh, working. And so that was 1999 when I f- preached my first message. And I started working a job actually at a loan company that were owned by some people out of Brother Carpenter's Church in Maryville, Tennessee. And we were working. Uh, I was working for them, making good money. Uh, they had talked about me taking over the company. And... Um, one day, just out of nowhere, they uh, we we kind of had a little disagreement. We're we're all good now. We're friends now. So if they're listening, I'm not, they know I'm not talking about them. We're we're very good friends. Uh, but we had a little disagreement, and I just quit on a whim. And I remember hanging the phone up, and I was like, "What in the world? What what, what am I doing?" Because I mean, I'd only preached a handful of times. Most of that was like youth services and things like that. And so. Um, but God started slowly after I quit my job. He just, I, I just said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm putting it in your hands. And God just started slowly opening doors for me to just preach out. And uh, that lasted for about six months. This was 2003. And I went to uh, Potts Camp, Mississippi, uh, was asked to come be a, the youth pastor there for Brother Steve Wilson. And so I did that for two years, worked at their Christian school and was a youth pastor, and then left there. And uh, I evangelized in between youth pastoring stops from uh, 2005 to 2006 and then went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, youth pastor for Brother Robert Martin down there for a little over a year. And then evangelized, and I left Brother Robert Martin in October of 2007, and I've been evangelizing ever since. So 12 wanna, years this next, next month. Next. I want to go back just a little bit because... What you said really resonated with me. I don't know if it's because I'm a preacher's kid or a pastor's kid or I was just around it my whole life. But whenever you said that your calling doesn't always come from the pulpit or, you know, you're playing video games or sports or whatnot, I want to tell you a story real quick. And I'm excited to see your facial expression here. But uh, the church that I was born and raised in, I was... I was the baptismal cleaner, the uh, carpet vacuumer, uh, dishwasher, the yard mower, the weed eater. Uh, basement got flooded. I was the deflood tizer man. Yeah. I, I mean, just because of, you know that was ministry. Right. And behind the church, my um, is a big bank that uh, um, a, a grassing bank, not not a not a bank bank, but a bank that you couldn't put a riding lawnmower on. You couldn't push smoke because it was so steep. And we'd always have to get out there about once a month and we'd eat that thing. And I remember our church secretary at the time, of course I'm doing it. <laughs> and then she recruited another kid that was about a year younger than me. He, I was probably 14, 15 at the time. He might've been 13, 14. And, um, the the secretary called his mom and said, "Hey, I'd like to recruit so and so to help uh, Tony. He's going to be weed eating the bank." Um, and the mom's response was, "My son's hands are used for the Lord's work, not for that kind of work." Man. And to this day, that whole that whole family's backslidden. I'm not surprised. So tell me the importance of keeping your priorities straight. Well, you know, I think in ministry. We, we often think that it's just holding a microphone preaching behind a pulpit. And really, that's a small percentage of ministry. That's the limelight of ministry. That's not the back 
the backdrop. You know, you can use the cliche of an iceberg. You know, an iceberg, just a little bit of it showing out of the water, but underneath the water is where the mass of the iceberg is at. You don't see it. Right. Um, and I think that's the way of ministry. You know, the, the part where we're actually seen, where we're uh, up in the pulpit preaching at a conference or a camp meeting or on Sundays, that's little. Just a little piece of what you know, and and, and I think a lot of the guys in my generation understood that. Um, but I think some of the guys in this generation, I'm not saying all of them. I, I don't ever try to, you know, paint with a, yeah. I don't try to paint with a broad brush when I say things. But I've had young men come to me that they were so excited they preached their first message, and then I talked to them a few months later, and they're about backslid. And I'm like, what's wrong? Well, nobody's asked me to preach. I'm like. Did you think that you were fixing to start flying over the world just because you preached one time? You're 19 years old. I said, I preached my first message, and it was years before I preached another time. I said, you, you know, and, and, I, and I always liken the story of David. You know, David was anointed. You know, there's different theological debates on uh, when he was anointed to be the king. Some say 15, some say 17. Anyway, he was a teenager. Uh, but he was 30 years old before he ever put a crown on his head and I think we we missed that you know because uh, we we think that just because I, I God called me I'm supposed to be preaching conferences and I'm supposed to be you know I'm, I'm supposed to have my name in the marquee no there's a time you know I, 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 I say you know there's a time when you're anointed and then there's a time when you're appointed you know Jesus said many are called but few are chosen that's right and it's that it's what we do between the calling and the choosing whether or not we're going to get chose. And David, you know, there, you can look at his life, and I wouldn't have time to get, go all the way in that. I have a lesson on that I teach sometimes. But, um, you know, all the things that David did between when he was anointed until he actually put a crown on his head it was, was the reason why he was able to put the crown on his head. You know, he didn't – he went right back to keeping sheep uh after he got anointed i mean he's got oil dripping off of him and he's right back out in the field keeping sheep again um you know today you know we he would have if he had social media he would have went went home and changed his twitter handle to at king david you know <laughs> yeah. um but I, I think that's one thing we miss sometimes in ministry is is there's a time that you know and, and i think i think as we as time starts wrapping up god's going to put giftings and callings and anointing on young men and women quicker probably because time's shorter but i still don't think that you just the day you're called you're going to just be preaching all over the world there's that you have to show yourself faithful and you know it's like you said weed eating and clean man i've done a bunch of that you know before i was ever at before i ever held a microphone in my hand i had a hammer in my hand i had a mop in my hand i had a sponge with soap and water cleaning our silver eagle bus way before i ever had all that so uh we just i think a lot of times we we, we get caught up in that uh of of the limelight instead of the servanthood of ministry absolutely yeah i, I certainly think that every minister at some point needs to go through like that trying kind of a phase yeah because it is easy to get caught up in the calling or the first step towards the calling, and man, this is the second coming. This is my coming out. This yeah. is man. This is everything. Here it is. This is this is real. Potter's I mean, I, house is about to vote I, me in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, get the I, business card. I, 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 felt, I felt called to preach. Uh, I can't remember what year it would have been in. Probably 
2008, 2007, somewhere in that time frame. Um, and so years, never asked to preach. I, I got to get, give a couple of testimonies. I never got asked to preach until uh, 2013. I was asked to do like some little bit in the service, not even not even a full sermon. I went there for 10 minutes and I felt such a feeling of the anointing like I had felt whenever I first was called. And I was like, man, this is it. Now is the time. So I was like, hey, Brother Runyon, can I go get my minister's license? He was like, yeah, go for it. Let's do it. So I got, I started reading the books and I started cramming in the all the study material. And I went down before the district board of Arkansas and they sent me back without a license. And so what happens? Then I'm having to be like, well, maybe I just overstepped. But you know what? That humbling experience was an eye-opening experience. Right. Because that next year was changed of where I could have been. I changed me in that next year. I went back again the next year, and whenever I walked in the room, the same people the first time that chose not to give me a license were the same people. It was the same exact crew. And when I walked in the second time, it was, we are glad to see you back. And, and so there in 2014 is whenever I was licensed with the United Pentecostal Church, and I've been licensed ever since. But I, I think in a way, I mean, it's hard whenever you think this is it, and then all of a sudden it's not it. Yeah. And there's still a road to go between where you think you need to be and where you currently are. But it, what you do on that journey will change and define the character that you have when you finally get to the place that you feel like God's leading you Absolutely. to. Absolutely. That's a great story, too. I mean, because you could have handled, handled that totally different. Well, they, you could be backslid today because of that. They've told me that they've told people that they weren't going to give them license, and they've got up and stormed out of the room. People that have backslidden over it, people that got angry. Quit uh, ministry, say, well, maybe I missed my calling. I'm well, not really yes. called. Whenever I was called out by our presbyter, uh, he, he had me step out of, of the meeting. They were doing, before you get licensed, the United Pentecostal Church here in Arkansas is, before you get called to see the board and individual couples, of course, at, at the time I was single. I wasn't married at the time. So I went my, by myself. Uh, but whenever they call them out by couples or by individuals based on who it is. And, and while that's going on, there's like a three or four hour minister's training class that someone's teaching the class. When they took me out of the class and they told me, hey, you know, you, you, you know we don't want to basically waste your time anymore because at the end of this, we, we're not going to give you license this time. We don't think you're experienced enough. My response was, well, can I finish the class out? And so I went back fighting tears, holding it in, knowing that everybody else in the room was going to be approved, and I knew I was the only person that wasn't. But I went back to learn. That's a great story, great response to it. Brother Maupin, I remember the first time that I saw you. You're kind of hard to miss. You're, you're a huge guy. I mean, I wouldn't want to meet you in an alley. I don't know about you, Brian, but he looks like one of those guys that could kill the, me in one punch. The first time I ever met him was it because of the times I was eating shrimp and uh, he said something about how it looked good, and I was like, well, I'm not going to finish all of it. Do you want one? And, and he said, well, actually, I'm allergic to shrimp. I had a shrimp one time, and I swallowed it, and I've never gone down since. <laughs> well, the first time I, I ever, I guess, n- noticed you, Brother Maupin, was – how At, tall are you? Yeah, six two. Six two. Man, Looked like he could kill me thought, in one punch. I thought you'd be six two. No, man, I'm just a little I shrimp. Be, I would have guessed that he would have been like six five or something. He's tall. <laughs> well, the first time I met or didn't meet you, but I saw you was at Arkansas camp meeting probably three years ago, maybe, and it made such an impact on me. Um, 
just watching you because Anthony Mangan had just get, got done preaching. I believe it was him. And um, I was at a different perspective than anybody. I was on the platform. And I, I, I watched you receive what God had for you that night. And you had your wife on your side and your children by your side. What does what does that mean to you to have a wife and children that support what you do and they follow you with, with a kingdom mind? I mean, that's everything. I mean, if you don't have a wife and children that support you and support your ministry, it, I mean, it, you're probably going to burn out before long. I mean, you have to, you, you have to have that. Uh, cause you know, I've heard some people say that God just calls the man and doesn't call the family, but I've also heard other people say he doesn't just call the man. He calls the family, uh, into ministry. And I think, I think the latter is more true. I mean, because you, you think about some of the great men of God, uh, in our movement, they all have great wives and family that are right there beside them in ministry and helping them. I mean, you look no further than your pastor. I mean, he's got a great family here uh, helping him. And uh, so I, I think, you know, that's that's crucial. You know, a house divided against itself is an outstanding, you know, it can't stand. So if, you know, if you're working against each other, you know, it's, just, it's a beneficial thing to know that, um, you know, once again, not bragging, but to, to know that we're, we're going to church. It's not ever are we going to church or if we're going to church. What we're time are we leaving? Yeah, we're going to church. I mean, my kids never say, are we going to church tonight? Well, yeah, they know that we're going to church. They know, you know, that, sure. and um, they know we're going to conferences. They know, they know we're going to camp. They know we're going to HYC. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's a blessing to, to have a family that. How hard is it? You're a you're a full time evangelist, and just follow keeping up with you on Facebook's a full time job. I couldn't imagine your wife doing it from home. How hard is that as a family man and as a father? It's tough. Um, you know, with my wife working a job and the kids all in school, my daughter just started a state Arkansas State just this semester. It's her first year, um, so it makes it difficult for them to get to travel with me as much as we'd like. Uh, they travel with me a lot during the summer. Um, but I, I travel because I, they're not always with me. I travel a little different than most evangelists. You know, a lot of evangelists, they'll, they have a truck and trailer. They'll go set up in an area for months at a time. Well, I'm not that guy. You know, I'll go uh, work, you know, go preach a revival or go preach a, a, you know, a weekend. And then I'm home on Monday and time to pick my boys up from school. And then I may not leave again until Friday or I might leave Wednesday. Like, uh, I've been home all this week and then, I leave next week on Wednesday, and I'll be gone through Sunday, and then I'll be home again on Monday, and have to leave again Wednesday. So, uh, I, I've done. I've kind of calculated um, if I was at home working a forty-hour-a-week job, the hours that I would be away from my family is about about the same when you calculate it all, um, away from home anyway. Um, and so I miss it, and it's you know it's difficult sometimes. Uh, but I think it's you know we've all kind of we've kind of got to that place where we all kind of know everybody's schedule, and and we look forward to summertime when they can go with me and holidays and things like that where they're able to tra- travel with me. But this having their support and my wife being able to you know take care of everything whenever um, I'm gone. Of course, when I get home, it's almost like she tagged tag you're it you know, it's time for you to do you're a in the more. match <laughs> yeah it's time for you to kind of do some double duty so uh but we we've got our we've got our way of doing things it's it's worked out pretty good so far so about how many times do you preach a year oh man 
Huh. I'd have to look at it. I, I mean. Carry the two. Yeah. <laughs> can I take my socks off so I can count my toes? No. Um, I mean, I'm somewhere every week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you just went me preaching twice a week, but it's usually more than that. I mean, it's, you know, revivals and yeah, I guess doing like, bit. yeah, like, so like consider this week I'm, I'm preached. I preached, um, I preached Sunday twice. Then I'm preaching. I preached Tuesday night. I preached for my in-laws over Pocahontas Wednesday night. I'll preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night in Paragol. Then I'll go to Georgia, preach Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then drive to Ohio Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday morning, And now our listeners know why we're glad to have him. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, one week I may just preach twice, mm-hmm. but some weeks I preach nine times. <laughs> yeah. so, so let me ask you this then. With preaching that much, what does your sermon preparation look like? Uh, and, of course, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners will be curious about being an evangelist, do you do you use the same sermon more than once, or do you try and make it unique for every single church, or how does that well, work? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely preach same sermon different places, um, but I never preach it exactly the same because I, I try to flow with what I'm feeling at that church, and so you, you know, I have that that outline, which most of my notes are just scripture, so I don't have to sit there and flip back and forth through a Bible. Um, and the reason I don't have a whole lot of notes is because I don't want to be locked down to my notes. I want to flow with the Spirit. And so um, I may preach the exact same message, exact same points, one, two, three, all these scriptures, but the in-between, the feel between the scriptures, between point one and point two and point three or whatever, is going to deviate from church to church because of whatever that church is at, wherever that church is, whatever they're going through, and whatever I feel while I'm preaching. So I, I just kind of, uh, uh, whatever, I, I, I try to be led by the Spirit while I preach. I try to, you know, I, I definitely try to have some outline. I'm not one of those guys that just goes up and flips my Bible open and, and points at a scripture, and I'm going to preach on that tonight. But but I try to flow in the Spirit while I'm preaching so that, you know, that so that that message doesn't become stale bread. It may not be, quote, unquote, fresh bread because I've preached it before, but it's not stale bread either, because I'm not just reading it word for word. I'm flowing still, uh, and, and you know, and this church may have, a, I may hit this point a little different than I do this point at another church. So, um, as for finding, like, you're getting new messages, um, I just, I'm one of those guys. I just, I don't like, I don't really, I guess I don't technically study to get new messages. I know some guys do that, but I, I, I'm one of those guys. I just get like a thought. Either I'll hear somebody else preach and they'll mention a little something, or sometimes I mean, I've been driving down the road before and get a thought from a radio ad or from a billboard. Man, or a hundred percent. I can I can name time after time where I've been to these big conferences or meetings or something. Yeah. And someone say something the first night and his greeting. I'm like, that's what I came yeah, here for. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. And so. I'm not one of these guys that just like every week I'm like working on a new sermon, working on six sermons. I just wait until I get it, something birthed in my spirit because once once it gets in my spirit, it's hard for me to get it out. Like there, there's times I'll preach if, if if I get something in my spirit, man, I'll preach that message every church I go to for a month, and then I may not preach it again for ever, or you know maybe months or a year before I preach it again. But it's almost like I preach it out of my spirit. I, I keep I keep hitting it. 
until it's out of me until and you know and so if i'm reading uh, you know probably the last few messages i've got um it's just been me reading the bible not studying you know not like trying to find a sermon just daily reading just and something just jumps out at me you know and 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 it just come from that and then you know i've got i've got friends and i've got people speaking in my life um and every once in a while they'll just say a little thought and man i'll just be like yeah i think i, I think yeah. i'd like to preach that of course my my phone on my note app it's full of undeveloped thoughts i, I mean i've got <laughs> i like that tons of messages on there that yeah. i probably could never have to worry about another message if i'd ever sit and develop those but so, so the, to, the short answer is, you know, when I do work on a sermon, um, and, and here's another thing about sometimes uh, I think God works sometimes with us. Um, I don't know if it's what you're looking for, but I, I feel like saying it. I think God works with us according to our personality sometimes. Yeah. And I'm a procrastinator. It, it drives my wife absolutely crazy. Uh, I don't get in a hurry for hardly anything. And I got time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, why rush? And so I think God sometimes, man I'll, man, I'll pray and fast. And, I mean, I'll lay in my hotel room and just like, God, please tell me what you want me to preach tonight. And I'll go to church not feeling nothing. And I may be in the prayer room. I may be walking on the platform. I may be singing with the, the praise and worship singers, and God will hit me with something. And it will be something may I may already have a little bit of, or it may be a brand-new thing, and I'll just start so that'll be a rough outline, but it's for that church, and I'll preach it. And then I may work on it the next week, or I may just file it away. And, I mean, there's messages that I've preached at churches that I was like, man, that would be a good message, but I've never felt to work on it ever again or preach it anywhere else. So um, so there's times that, man, I just, I'll get a, 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 just a thought or a scripture and, and just try to flow off of that. Just Let me ask you a question here real quick. Sorry to cut you off there, Brian. Um, have you ever been to a church where you struggled with God, what God wanted you to preach because you know that you're leaving and the pastor has to stay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's always in the back of your mind, especially if it's something, you know, that it's kind of tough, you know, if it's something, which I, I try not to get on too many unless God just won't let me get away from something. I try not to get on it too much, you know. Yeah edgy stuff that it's going to cause any stir uh but i mean i've preached messages before that i felt horrible uh i won't i don't want to mention any names but a pastor that's very near and dear to me um he's a big big saints fan new orleans saints which yikes which i am too but yikes different story for a different time and so i went to preach at this pastor's church and the saints had just won the super bowl and so I was, you know, praying and studying, and I was like, you know what? It would be a great message, the Saints win. And I could open up talking about the Saints winning the Super Bowl, and then I can transition into no matter what you're battling, no matter what you're going through, you're, going, you're a winner. You're going to win, you know. And I read scriptures of the end time about how that Satan will come up and he will, uh, you know, the, I think it's in Daniel where it talks about the that he, for a time, it looks like he's going to win, and then and then the – the ancient of days comes in and says, so, you know, it was just a yeah. clever little, and it was an encouraging message. Well, little did I know, even though, I mean, I talked about the New Orleans Saints for maybe two minutes, if that. Little did I know there was a man in his church that was anti-football. <laughs> While I was preaching, gets up, grabs his wife, and jerks her out of the pew and 
they never walked back in that church ever oh, again. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, so, our pastor could never preach that. He'd say the Dolphins when he's in Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't win much, though. So, <laughs> but uh, so you know, there's times that you don't even know that you're making somebody mad. And and that guy was a friend of mine. You know, I, he just was anti-football in church. You know, he just thought you shouldn't talk about it. So it's you know, you got to be as an evangelist, you got to be very careful not to to talk about sensitive subjects and. You know, don't get politically motivated and, you know, don't try to, you know, get into a lot of, you know, what a church standards, you know, because they're, you know, they're going to variate between churches. You can't really get into all that because you may preach against something that that pastor doesn't or you may say something's okay that he says isn't okay and uh, then you're going to leave him with a mess. And I always try to, my, my goal to be when I leave that church is that church is better than it was when I walked into it, so... So you're a full-time evangelist now. I got to ask you a, a pretty big question. Do you feel like the ministry of an evangelist is undervalued in this modern time? Um, I, I'm sure by some, and once again, I don't like to paint with a broad brush, but I'm sure some probably uh, uh, it's an undervalued to them, but I don't believe that's probably the overall feeling. Um, I just believe, you know, uh, the the days of multiple night revivals, I'm not going to say they're dead, but they're not like they used to be. And, and frankly, I'm not sure I would survive. I mean, you know, some of those revivals went six weeks every single night. Yeah. I mean, I would be wore out. My brain would be fried. I'd, I'd run out of things to preach. I feel like after a while. Um, so I just think that we're living in a different world I think there's so much going on in people's lives. I think that we're distracted by so much. We're so busy, you know. Back in the the back in the old days, the good old days, the um, a lot of times the wives didn't work outside the home. Um, the children didn't have extracurricular extracurricular activities. They didn't play sports and all that. And I think just now today, I think everybody's so busy. It's hard to um, to get people to come and be faithful to a multiple night. Revival. There's guys I preach for. They bring me in on a Sunday and a Wednesday, and they're like, "We could try to have service between." He said, "But I don't think anybody will show up," and that's sad. But it's also real. I mean, it's just kind of the where we're at. Now, there's some churches, man. Give us church every night. Let's do it for two or three weeks. But then there's some that's not. So I don't think it's when you look at stuff like that. I don't, I don't really necessarily think that people are undervaluing the ministry. I, I think it's just. A different dynamic the world we're living in i just think there's so much going on in people's lives that it's uh and i'm sure there's some people that that you know don't we don't need an evangelist we got a preacher we don't need you know uh, so i think there's some that do but i don't think every one of them i wouldn't think i wouldn't think the majority would be undervaluing the 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 job of an evangelist ministry so you made this statement that you hope to leave the church better than it was whenever they brought you in yeah uh, why bring in an evangelist? What does an evangelist bring to a local church? Um, I think that um, the the biggest thing that an evangelist does is he's a spark. Um, when he comes in, you know, a church, you know, you you can use the, the oh, probably overused cliche um, uh, of you know a, a fire starting. You know, some you just have to have the right conditions. You have to have some you know that dry timber there. You have to have enough oxygen. You have to have a heat source. 
And sometimes everything is right there ready to be caught on fire, but you have to have that match. And sometimes I think that evangelist comes in. Now he now he doesn't bring he doesn't bring revival with him. He's not. I don't and out there in my 2013 Ford Fusion with 227 thousand miles on it. I don't have a a box in the trunk of cans of revival that I pop open everywhere I go. Um, but I think that we can bring with us a spark that can the church is ready and poised for it, and we bring that spark that ignites that fire. Okay, let me let me get the flip side of that. Okay. Have you ever felt like you poured water on it instead of a match? Oh yeah, I mean, there. I mean, of course, I, I, I probably beat my. I'm probably my worst, my my own worst critic. I, I probably feel like I, I miss it and do horrible more, um, than I do. Actually, I just because I'm just that guy. I, you know, I, I battled, and me just being open because that's who I am. I, I battled insecurity my entire life, so. Um, you know, I've carried that over into my ministry. And so, you know, whenever I look at my life and I'm thinking, man, I'm just a poor East Tennessee trailer trash. I mean, that's basically how I was raised. And, and now, you know, I, you know, God's using me, but I still have that insecurity of, of being that self-worth and having that, um, you know, am I doing what God wants? Did I preach what I should have preached? Did I, I, you know, did this church just waste their time and money bringing me in? But, you know, and what's amazing is um, a lot of times when I feel that way and I feel like church was dead and I feel like I poured water on the fire, there'll be somebody that walks up to me, tears flowing down their face and says, that message was for me. And I'm like, maybe I came here just for that one person. I want to get off the beaten path here a little bit and uh, get into some some muddy water. Okay. Um, you talked about you've always struggled with insecurity. We like to talk to specific people a lot on our podcast, and I want you to reaffirm someone that feels like they are unqualified for what God has called them to do. I want you to talk a little bit how you overcame that hurdle of insecurity to being a successful evangelist. What was there something specific that happened to you, or was there a time where you're like, you know, I, I've just got to quit this. You know, God's called me. I'm qualified. Well, I think everybody in ministry quits. <laughs> I've heard pastors say they have resignation letters in their top drawer of their desk. Um, you know, once again, looking at Elijah. You know, he just he had just called down fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the stone, consumed the wood, consumed the dust, even the water, everything on that in front of the false prophets of Baal. Amazing, like the greatest milestone in his ministry. And one verse or two verses later, the next chapter, he's like, God, just kill me. I wish I just I just want to die. So he went from and and that's why ministry is a lot of times. It's a roller coaster. You. you you go from Sunday night to, man, you just had seen six people get the Holy Ghost and people are patting you on the back, and then Monday comes and, you know, it's this or that, and you just feel like a failure. And, you know, to speak to somebody who feels like they're unqualified, well, you are unqualified. We're all unqualified. We're, we're, all, we're, we're, we're all unworthy of his mercy and his grace. We're, none of us deserve what we have. But... How do you put a price on something? You know, if I had a Michael Jordan rookie card, 
it could go they could somebody could look at it and tell the grade of it and he could say well it's worth five hundred dollars well that might be the worth that he thinks it's worth but until somebody's willing to pay five hundred dollars for it it's not worth five hundred dollars because what something's worth is what it's somebody's willing to pay for it and so if we look at ourselves we may be worthless but Jesus died for our sins. He paid an ultimate price. He paid a price that we could never pay. So we're priceless. I mean, you think about it. We, we, we're, not, we're not worthy of what he's done, but he's put a worth on us. And so I think when you grasp that um, and you grasp that love, and I think being a father helps you grasp that, that love from God because you get to see, you know, you get to see your kids struggle. You get to see them do stupid stuff. You get to get mad at them. You get to get frustrated at them. But you'd still take a bullet for them any second, you know? And I think that – and to think that, that how much I love my kids and God loves me way more than that, it's just – it's mind-blowing. So when you start looking at yourself and you think that you're not worthy, you are worthy because God God has called you. God has put a price on you that you could never pay. He, he paid the price for you. And you may not feel like you're qualified. I don't, I, I, you know, I've never been to Bible college. I've never, I, my daddy's not a pastor. My dad, I'm the first preacher in my family that I, I know of the entire history of my family. I was the first preacher. Like I said, I was the class cut up. People that know me from where I was growing up that see me now, they're like, I cannot believe you are who you are. I thought you would end up in jail. <laughs> so just you just got to be encouraged. And then a lot of times, you know, I, the story of David, David's one of my favorite people. I know I've mentioned him several times, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. We have to encourage ourselves sometimes. We have to, we have to just, you know, sometimes it's not – our spouse give us give us an encouragement. It's not a friend encouraging us. It's not a pastor encouraging us. We just have to encourage ourselves in the Lord and say, if God didn't want me to do what I'm doing, he wouldn't have called me. And I'm the only Michael Maupin in the world. I'm sure there's other people with that name, but I'm the only one that God has called to do what I'm doing. And I may not be Jeff Arnold. I may not be Anthony Mangan. I may not be any of those guys, but I'm Michael Maupin. And if God didn't want me to be Michael Maupin and didn't want me doing what I'm doing, he wouldn't have called me. I'd still just be doing whatever I do, was doing before God called me. And so you just have to battle through your insecurities. You just have to fight through them. Um, and, and, you know, it's hard sometimes when you, when you have that, especially if it's a long time in your life. Uh, but you have to just you have to fight through. Because a lot of times that, that insecurity is with the old man. It's not with the spiritual man. It's with the, the, the fleshly man. So when you crucify that man, you have to become more like Christ. And, and, and the insecurity is not like Christ. So we, we have to realize who he is and, and what we are in him. So your value, where, does, where do you see your value come from? Is it something that it has to be that if nobody in the world knows my name, as long as I know that God knows my name, is it, you know, levels of ministry, whenever they kind of recognize you, is that a place of value? Where where can a person that feels insecurity, where can they really get all their, where can they find their value from? Well, you know, I, I'm sure some people would say, you know, if I preach a conference, people value me. If I do this, I do that. But that's just temporary. That's not, that's not eternal. I think our value comes from an eternal perspective. When you start realizing the people that you've impacted, you start realizing 
you know, one of my greatest joys as an evangelist is getting to go back to a church. That's an honor that they would have you back after you've been one time. But when you go back and there's somebody there that you remember getting the Holy Ghost the last time you were there, and now they look totally different, now they're in ministry, and they walk up to you and say, man, I owe a lot to you. That, that I mean, that, that right there alone is greater than me preaching a camp, conference or a camp. But knowing that I have an eternal, eternal uh, reward, I have an eternal uh, uh, impact on somebody's life. I mean, it's amazing whenever you go and you see it, uh, somebody that that you remember praying with when they got the Holy Ghost, or you pray, you preached the night they came and got baptized, and now they're involved in ministry. Now they're a preacher. Now they're a Sunday school teacher. Now they're leading praise and worship. You know, like Paul said, I have no greater joy than seeing my children walking in, wow. in truth. Well, I mean that's kind of the same thing. It's you, you, those you you have a you feel a personal connection to them, and to me that 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 adds value to what you're doing. Whenever you you can see the fruit of the ministry that God's called you to do, and you know it's it's not about you, you know your name on a marquee. It's it's about what what are you doing for an eternity, yeah. not just for the here and now. Let me ask you this: when we're we're talking about value, now this is. One of those heavy kind of questions but let me ask you this as an, an evangelist what does it say about the minister who gives you the paycheck for coming in on the weekend what does whether you get the the amount they give you or stiffen you what does it say about the value they put on ministry now that's kind of a heavy question because not I think not everybody that doesn't feel like that you maybe doesn't take care of you like you thought thought they should. Um, it's not always that they're devaluing you. It's more that sometimes they just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. You know, especially um, and and I'm not throwing off on it because I've I've I man I'll work I'll work a job right now. Somebody will hire me while I'm home. I'll I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll drive a limo if you want me to, brother. <laughs> um, but by vo- but yeah, <laughs> exactly. But by vocational pastors, I think a lot of times they don't they're they're in their mind, especially if they've never been full time, if they've never evangelized, in their mind they're thinking, Well, this guy just came in and he preached Sunday for me. This check, man, he just worked one day, he just worked a couple hours. This is a lot of money for a couple hours. I would love to make that. But he's not looking at that that's the evangelist's pay for that entire week. Yeah. He's thinking his paycheck plus that extra would be a good week because he doesn't have to rely on that. He's got a paycheck on Friday from his Monday through Friday job. And so I don't think it's always people devalue. I think a lot of times they just don't know any better. They hand you a check and they're like, bless God, brother. You know, they don't realize – that you drove that you drove nine hours to get there, that you've been in your hotel all day studying and praying, and that you're going to have to drive nine hours, and you just got a check that probably won't even cover your expenses that, to get there and back. Because he's not thinking that is my. It's not that he's a bad person. It's not that he doesn't value what you did for the church. He's just not been taught any better. I, I've been an advocate for years that at conferences they ought to have a special class on on. If you're going to have an evangelist, what you know, what to do and what not to do, and because there's some guys that just don't know, 
And then I think there's – and on the flip side of that, there, I think there's guys that just don't care too because they're like, you know, you're a hired help. You know, I'm doing you a favor by bringing you here. Uh, you know, this I, – I, I, if I thought about it long enough, I'd probably have some, some bad stories, and I do. But I want to tell a story that happened to a friend of mine. He went to a church. He checked into the hotel. Across the street was a brand-new hotel. But he was in this old rinky-dink, you know, like – you know, look like it was fifty years old and cockroaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amongst other things, yeah. Bed bugs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so he he uh he went to his room and opened the door and he said it was filthy. He said there was like cigarette burns on the, the comforter, carpet had stains on it, the bathroom had a ring around the toilet and the yeah. sink. And he was he he just shut the door and he I mean, he had his wife and his kids with him. He went to the front desk and he checked. He said he said I'm not going to stay here. And he called the pastor and he said he said Hey pastor, uh, just checked into the hotel. He goes, Well, how's your room? He goes, Well, that's why I was calling you about. It. He goes, I'm going to take my family across the street to this other hotel. And he goes, And I, don't worry about it. I'll pay for it out of my own pocket. You know, I appreciate the room. He said, But I'm going to take them over there. He said, well, why? What's wrong with your room? I got you. And he said, well, have you seen it? He goes, yeah, I looked at it today. He goes, well, would you stay there? And that pastor said, no, but I'm not an evangelist. Oh. So that's someone who didn't value an evangelist. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, I, I don't have to stay in rat holes see, like I that. Can, I can agree with that because my mother-in-law is a children's evangelist. And I, I see how... Now I'm not just here to stomp on pastors that don't take care of your evangelists, but I'm saying if if you just understood the amount of preparation and um, I am you're not prayer. paying for a sermon. That's right. You're paying for somebody's time and life experience. That's right. That's right, bro. I mean, I I, I see what you're saying 100. percent And I, I mean, I, I can tell you a time that we've been to a church where uh, the pastor had asked all of us to come with my mother-in-law because when my father-in-law passed away. It was one of his last things that he requested my brother-in-law and I to travel with my mother-in-law. Man, you talk about a wild duo, there it is. But we've been all over the United States and Canada with her. And we've been to some churches where, hey, um, you got a service coming up. We printed you out some flyers. Go knock doors. Get people here. Yeah. So, so let me, with all this, so it hurts, I'm sure, whenever, you know, when you feel undervalued. Now let's break it down to the individual. So because there's two big words that, that or two big statements you said that stood out to me that I think a lot of people can relate to. When they feel like somebody has undervalued them, they have hurt them, neglected them, whatever, is the two things. Is sometimes we deal with pains in our lives that people inflict on us and they just don't know they did it. Right. They Like for instance, a perfect example, with, with the guy that got offended over you preaching about the New Orleans Saints. You didn't know. Right. You weren't out to hurt that person and drop wasn't my, and run him out yeah. of the church. That was the last thing you were wanting yeah. to do. The pastor didn't say, "Hey, preach on this, but, so he'll leave." <laughs> but he didn't know how to deal, you know. And of course, I think that's an example of a situation where some people they get upset with a pastor, they get upset with a friend, they get upset with a coworker, something over something that was done that was totally innocent. They just didn't know that, that how it was going to affect that person didn't know what they had been struggling with for that week going into it. Yeah. But then there's another group of people out there. They hurt people, and there's people out there that are listening. They had been hurt by someone. They just didn't care. The person hurt them and didn't care that it hurt them. So what, what, what can a person do whenever they, first of all, 
whenever they've been hurt by somebody and the person didn't know what they were doing. And secondly, what can we do whenever somebody is with malicious intent has hurt us? Well, you know, I think either way you have to, you can't let it get in your spirit, number one, whether it's an accidental hurt or on purpose hurt. Because if you let it get in your spirit, then it's going to affect every aspect of your life. Believe me, I've been there. I've done that. I've had people hurt me without knowing they did, and I never even told them. Then I've had people that just hurt me on purpose just because they were mean and they wanted to hurt me. And, you know, the, the old saying is, you know, if you don't forgive somebody, you're not that, that you're not hurting them. Most of the time, they they've then went on with their life. Yeah, they're done. Yeah, you're hurting yourself if you don't forgive them. And man, it's it's tough. Sometimes it's took me hours. Sometimes it's took me days. Sometimes it's took me weeks to let go of that that hurt. You know, um, and and sometimes it, you know it, we we. We get so, I've seen people, you know, I've seen so many preacher friends of mine that got hurt that are backslid today because they didn't handle their hurt. They didn't take care of it. Um, And you have to be able to get rid. I I preach a message and I talk about uh, when Joseph had a a son, his first son's name was Manasseh, which means God calls me to forget. Basically what Joseph was saying was, I could name this son anything I want to. I could name him hurt because he was hurt. I could name him betrayal because he was betrayed. I could ha- name him I hate my brothers because they did me wrong. He could have chose all these names, but he named him Manasseh, basically saying, God's caused me to forget about all the things that my brothers did to me. And then the next son that he had was Ephraim, which means fruitful. And so he had to be able to forgive and forget Manasseh before he could have an Ephraim and be fruitful because we'll never be fruitful if we're not forgetful. Um, so we, we, you know, if we let that bitterness get inside of us, it's like a cancer. I, I mean, I've, I, it's something that will just eat away at your heart, eat away at your mind. And, and, you know, we can't, we, we can't, our minds aren't able to forget what happened but we can get to a point where when I see that person or talk to that person, I don't clench my hand up and I don't, I don't grunt my teeth together or tears don't come out of my eyes anymore. That's when you know that you've let go of it. That's when you know that that bitterness is, doesn't have control over you anymore. And you have to get rid of it. You, you've got to, you can't let it, you can't let it get stuck in you or it'll destroy you slowly. Yeah, that's certainly true. Whenever the sting isn't there, when you hear their name. Yeah. When you're able to pray for them and their and pray blessings on their family. Exactly. And, and you know, I'm sure everyone in this room has had people that you felt like you've done them. They've done us all wrong, and they're every listener out there has probably endured this. And I think that what, what you're talking about is absolute key for a healing process is going through that process of forgiveness and being able to to, to truly let it go. Not that you forget because you're never going to forget, but you can be healed. Yeah. Brother Maupin, we uh, we ask you if you ever preach sermons in multiple locations. Well, I'm about to ask a question we've asked somebody else. Is that okay? Yeah, but we ask the same thing. <laughs> Brian asked Brother Gaddy a question. I'd like to get your input on. Uh, he Brother Gaddy's will be released before yours, so I'll just I'll just tell you. Um, do you feel more intimidating 
more intimidated preaching in smaller settings where it's more intimate. more intimate or you just got back from First Apostolic Church Maryville where they've got how many um, who knows probably a massive church yeah. I mean it's 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 the premier church of the ALJC it is which are you more intimidated by or are you intimidated you know I think um I've been preaching for so long now that I, I've got to where I don't get that that like really bad nervous intimidation anymore. I think one of the biggest intimidations is when you're preaching to preachers. You know, preaching a uh, a camp or a conference where the majority of the people out there are preachers. Where you're being analyzed. Exactly. Exactly. Or you preach for a pastor who you know is an amazing, you know, like I'll never preach anything as good as he does. Right. Why, what am I going to bring to these people that they've not already heard? Um, I think that that's probably more intimidating than than size. I think I've got to a point in my life. Um, it doesn't matter if it's two or two thousand. I know what I'm there for, and I'm just going to do it. And you know, if they respond, and I also, you know, I, I remember back in the day I used to preach kind of to my response. If they were getting with me, it made me preach harder. If they weren't, I, I kind of would, you know, slow down. And now I've just kind of got it to where I'm going to get in my groove and I'm going to do what God's told me to do, and regardless of the, the audience response. Because I've got to a point now where I don't preach for an audience response. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's nice when people are up clapping and cheering, you know, hey, man, come on, preach. But when you're in that crowd of 16 and they're looking at you like you're crazy. Yeah. So I've got to the point where I don't preach to an audience response. I preach for an altar response. Oh, I, I don't. I, it's not about getting people off their seat. It's about pe- getting people on their knees in the altar mm. um, that I want to see. Because I, 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 my prayer every time I preach is I don't want to just preach. I want to minister. Because anybody can preach. Man, that's good stuff, right? But there. I want to minister to somebody. I don't want to just preach a good a good sermon. That's another prayer every time I say, God, don't let this be my sermon. Let this be your message. Because there's a difference in a sermon and a message. Well, my follow-up question to that was, do churches have a unique spirit about them, each church you go to? Oh, yeah. Um, I believe every church has a, its own culture, its own, uh, its own identity. It's, you know, I think you know, you got churches that are, man, you can't hardly hard to get your thought out, and they're going crazy. It's almost like, are you even listening to me? Because yeah, it's like you—that's how Brother Pierce's church is. Yeah, it's like you—it's like you're just a smaller church, but man, yeah. they eat it up. Yeah, it's almost like, are you just going by the the, the tone of my voice that you're responding to? Or are you actually? I've often wanted to just go somewhere like that and just start preaching something crazy to see if they're going to respond just by me. You know, if I getting my voice going. Yeah, I know of a preacher that he got behind the. Uh, it was a very conservative. I, church. I know exactly what and you're about to behind, say. He got behind the piano, and after he got done preaching, well, the preacher got up, and, and in a way, kind of undermined what he was preaching. Oh wow! Like I guess he corrected him or something like that, and so he was he was kind of offended by it. So he got behind the full the the piano. And he started playing the Looney Tunes theme, and they were they were dancing and shouting the Looney Tunes theme. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! <laughs> oh, oh, I want to give a shout out to that preacher right now, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, so I, I definitely would have loved to have been, been there. That would have been yes. a great one. But you know, you got churches like that, and then you got churches that sit there. Like it, you ain't getting them out of the seat. It don't matter what you say. And sometimes they they're not going to respond at all but sometimes there's churches that sit there but when the altar comes they're in the altar it's not that they're not listening to you it's just that they're not taught to 
uh, and then you've got some churches that have that elegant of elegance about them, that classy, you know. Don't you see what of, I'm wearing? I'm not going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they've got a lot of elegant, you know, they've got educated people in their audience. And then you got the people that, man, it don't matter. It's just the country church. You could get up and preach about fried green tomatoes and they just go crazy i mean you know there is every church has it and i think a lot of it has to do with um i think churches take on the personality of their pastor and leadership and so if the pastor's kind of a fiery kind of guy they're going to be more of a fiery kind of guy if he's more of a laid back they're going to be a little bit more laid back um can i just flip back real quick i know 100 the intimidation thing you were talking about absolutely i think the thing that intimidates me more than anything is if i go into a church where there's no young people and everybody looks like Patty Pentecostal. Yeah. Because I know that, that that's a church that's not growing and thriving. And that's really have a future. Yeah, and I I've always heard this the phrase that if it's not growing it's it's dying. It's dying, exactly. And so my point is if there's no young people, there's not a future. And if everybody looks the same, then that means you're not reaching outside your walls. And if we're not careful, we'll get spiritually inbred where everybody's going to look like me and dress like me and talk like me and act like me. And, you know, if you take the inbreeding, if you study inbreeding, which I don't know why you would unless you're <laughs> going to work on this thought for a message, which I did. But <laughs> over generations of inbreeding, whether it's with humans or, an- or animals, um, there's multi- multiple birth defects. And also there comes a point where they're, they become uh, – sterile and cannot reproduce anymore and so i think a lot of churches have become spiritually inbred because it's my four no more i want everybody to look like me i want everybody to be my same color i want everybody to dress like me look like me have the same pedigree that i have well you do that after so long you're going to start having some birth defects when you do give birth to children they're going to have some issues then there's going to be a point where you're not giving birth at all anymore and you're not growing and your church is dying Mm. Well, I've I've heard the phrase that um, somebody who is I'm close with somebody who pastors a church that um, uh, they've they've made the phrase that my my congregation's content with four and no more um, as long as nobody takes my seat as long as the thermostat's set on this exactly. as long as the decimals and the and the and the sound is set to this i'm going to be just fine but yeah. don't, don't don't you dare ask me to give yeah. the missions yeah. don't don't you dare ask me to give to the building fund don't play none of those yeah. new songs what 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 do we need a church van for what do we yeah. need that for exactly. I, we can use that money and and, and extra cushion for the pews <laughs> you know you you Brian you can miss me with that yeah cuz if it's not growing if it's not thriving is it do you still have a burden for it? I wouldn't think so. I mean, Brian and I, we were having we're a conversation. Brian and I was having a conversation of um, um, people who, not not just people, but um, things and people that have lost their burden and they feel like, we feel like they've missed out on their passion and purpose. And if they've stayed there so long, I, I can give you an example from my childhood where I, I, a pastor, and by his own admission, said, I stayed here too long because I was comfortable and I was going to retire here. And ever since he had that mindset, it had been a year past, a two years had passed. Nobody got the Holy Ghost. Nobody got baptized. Nobody was new. The church got smaller and smaller and smaller. It's very important we stay connected to those vital signs. 
Yeah. Well, you can look at the story of Moses and the children of Israel. They were they were at Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb is where God talked to Moses out of the burning bush. That's where God gave the Ten Commandments. So it was a place of mirac- miraculous wonders. It was a place of power. And they were around that mountain camped. And God had to finally say, you have dwelt at this mount for too long. It's time to get up and go because there's a promised land. You can't stay here. You can't stay in your past. You can't stay where you've always been. See, I think that's the problem with the church. We, we want to live on what God used to do. You know, we want to glorify the Azusa Street and the Topeka, Kansas, and the Brush Harbors and the tent, tent revivals. And, man, I'm thankful for all those, those things were powerful. But I want to see God do that now. I don't, I don't want to just look at what God's done in the past. God's a forward-moving God. He's a progressing God. That's why he doesn't remember our sins because he's not living in the past. He's moving forward. And we've got to move forward. There's a, if we stay where God has worked in the past, we'll never get to where he wants us to be. There's a Canaan, there's a promised land in front of us. And if we're not careful, we'll get so complacent, we'll get so stuck. You know, Abraham, before he was Abraham, the first time Abram's ever mentioned in the Bible, he didn't, God didn't talk to, to Abram. He talked to his father, Terah. And he said, Terah, get your family and leave Ur of the Chaldees, which was a pagan land, and go to Canaan. And they got to Haran, and the Bible says they stopped in Haran and they dwelt there. And Haran, if you study it, is the halfway point between Ur and, and Canaan. So they got to the halfway point, and they got happy and content and stopped in, Har- in Haran, and the Bible says that Terah died there. Mm-hmm. So God actually told Terah to go to Canaan, and he stopped halfway and died. And so after he dies, he looks at Abram and he says, Abram, get out of this place. I know you're not in Ur anymore. I know you're not in pagan worship anymore, but I've got so much more for you. Haran may be a good place, but it's not Canaan land. Get out of where you're at and go to Canaan land. And I think that's the problem with so many churches. We feel like just because we're not where we used to be, that we're happy and content, but we're not where we should be either. We're not where God wants us to go. And I think we need to make sure that we don't get complacent. I'm glad we're talking about this because the <clears throat> next question I want to kind of transition into is not a church, not a pastor, not a minister, not a leader, but as a saint, as someone who is a faithful, tithe-paying, lovable saint, what can they do to maximize revival in their church? Well, of course, the easiest answer is to pray. I mean, prayer is everything. Prayer is the is the the easy answer to everything. Any spiritual question, um, you 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 pray, you fast, uh, evangel. You, you've got to evangelize. Now, evangelism is totally different for every church. Like every church has its own culture and, and dynamics. I also believe that different things work differently for different churches. I think some places you can go. And you can go knock doors, and you can go hang door knockers, and and you can go door to door and canvas neighborhoods, and that works. Some places you're going to get shot, you're going to get the police called on you. Mm-hmm. Some places people are not are going to be very cold to you. I still believe that the greatest evangelism is personal relationship. Whenever I go to work, whenever I go to school, whenever I'm in the community, and people notice something different about me, and I become friends with them. 
Now, you can be friends with Love not the world. I know what the Bible says, but it doesn't say you can't be friends with the people in the world. You can't be friends with the world, worldliness, but you can still be friends to somebody. You can still be nice to them. You can still... The greatest error we ever get as apostolics is we get that mightier-than-thou pharisaical attitude with our nose up in the air and think we're better than everybody. Nobody wants that kind of religion. If I walk into my work and act like, because I ain't done what they're doing, that I'm better than them, they're never going to convert. So building relationships with people, uh, I believe, is the, the key. So if so, if somebody just a, like you said, a tithe-paying faithful member, and, and that's another thing, is faithfulness. I think that faithfulness is something that we're missing in the church huge today. And, it, and it's not just the church world, it's everywhere. You think about the generation that before us, our, our parents and our grandparents, because I'm sure we're all pretty close to the same age, our parents and our grandparents, man, they would work, they'd get out of high school and get a job, and they'd work it for 40 years and retire from that one job. Well, nobody does that anymore. You, you get a job, and then this guy's going to offer you 50 cents more an hour. You're going there. You're and going someone here. someone tells you, no, you got to go to your safe place and talk to somebody about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's no faithfulness. There's, no, uh, there's a lack of, of uh, loyalty in the world. Look at sports. Look at athletes. The, the team that's invested in it and drafted them, as soon as they get a chance, they're going to a big money market. And you're going to give me millions of dollars, or I'm just not going to play for you exactly, this year. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's trickled down from, from work to, to sports all the way to the church world. It's like if they're not going to let me sing, if they're not going to play my style of music, if they're not going to do this, then there's another church down the road I'll go to. And there's a lack of loyalty. And so I think faithfulness and loyalty are key and I think one of the greatest things that you could do if you're wanting revival in your church, besides praying, fasting, evangelism, all those, all those spiritual aspects, is come to church expecting. Come with a level of expectation that God's going to do something. Don't come to church with, oh, it's just another Wednesday night. I'm, I barely got here from work. I didn't even have time to go home and take a shower. No, come saying it might just be Bible study, but God can do something amazing tonight. Come expecting every revival. Say, you know, if you have a revival service, if it's Sunday morning, come expecting that God's going to just blow the roof off the place. How can you be that way when you're going through the darkest hour of your life? Well, to me, that's the only way you can get out of the darkest hour of your life is to, to, to have that momentum, to have that, that mindset that I'm not going to stay here. You know, David, David in his 23rd Psalm, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, the Lord is with me. But notice his, his verbiage there. He said, I walk through the valley. He didn't say I'm going to stay there because he understood that on the other side of the valley is going to be another mountain. Mm -hmm. And if we get stuck in the rut, we get stuck where we're at, we get stuck in our trial, we get stuck in our test, then we're not ever going to get out of what we're in. But if I come to church with the, the thought that, Tonight, it's the woman with the issue of, issue of blood. She said, if I can touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. Not this could be my day to get healed. This is, this is going to happen. This is, she already set the atmosphere. She already let, set the expectation that t tonight is my night. If we would come with that expectation that I may have just had the worst week of my life, I may have felt like I was going to backslide, I, may have, I just got a bad doctor's report, but tonight's my night. I'm going to be healed tonight. I'm going to get the Holy Ghost tonight. I'm going to get my breakthrough. Tonight God's going to save my children, whatever. Whatever it is you're going through, if we'll get that mindset, I, I think that's the only way we can get out of what we're going through. 
I want to tell the story of my heritage, if y'all don't mind. Indulge me, will you? My great-grandmother was the first person uh, baptized in Jesus' name in the church that my dad now pastors. Um, She was, her story is incredible. She was um, a mother of, I think there was four or five of them. Forgive me for not knowing that exactly. But uh, she would take her kids every Sunday to church while her husband would stay at home. And whenever my grandma and my great-grandma would get home, she knew one thing. She was going to get a beating of her life for going to that Pentecostal church. Her husband would be drunk. He would sometimes meet her halfway home, grab her by the hair, and just pull her the rest of the way home while the kids watched that. She would sometimes come home and be passed out drunk. That's a good night. She would sometimes come home and all of her clothes would be thrown out on the on the on the lawn and go inside and get a beating of her life and all because she decided to choose truth. Well now my grandma, because of that, lives in that. It lives an apostolic Pentecostal life. My mom is the first lady of the church from that church. My sister is the um, assistant pastor's wife and her daughter is now a part of that church and my daughter is a part of the apostolic truth. There's something to be said about following your heritage. Right. Can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of holding on to the truth, even though everything around you says it's not worth it? Yeah, I think you know it's our it's our bedrock. It's our it's our cornerstone. It's what we hold to. It's it's our north star. You know, it's our guide. If we don't hold on to it, there's no telling where we'll go. You know, um, the truth is what guides us. The truth is what keeps us. If we if we start slipping in truth, we start letting go in truth. Maybe we say, well, it's not going to hurt that that much right now. It's not going to hurt that much. But no one ever gets. No one ever backslides overnight. No one ever quits church overnight. It's a gradual process. You know, there's a, there's a reason why God put it in the Bible about the, the little foxes that spoil the vines because that's what happens. It's little things. No one ever just says, I'm, I'm you know, the guy that's a murderer, he never, he doesn't just go out and say, I'm going to go kill somebody today. There was things that happened over time. And if we, the same thing with truth, if we start letting go of little pieces of truth and little things and it doesn't matter here and it doesn't matter there and it doesn't matter there, before long we're so off course that there's, I, I'm not going to say there's no way we can write it, but most of the time people don't because once you start letting go of little things, you're going to start letting go of big things. Yeah. And, and it holds true that what I let go of today will my children will let go of even more of it. So if I let down here, they're going to take it and let it down even more. And then their children. So by the time, you know, I've got great grandchildren or great grandchildren, great, great grandchildren, there's no truth left because I started the process of letting just a little bit of truth go because truth is the only absolute we have in life. Not just the truth of the word of God, but truth in itself is the only the only thing that we have in life that we can we can put a surety to because that is the number one thing. We've got to keep it the main thing in our life. It's got to be truth. We've got to stay. If your grandmother would have let go of truth, we, you, 
I'd be maybe talking to him and somebody else right now if it wasn't for truth. You know, if, if Bishop McCool wouldn't have preached truth, I wouldn't be sitting here today. If my mother wouldn't have accepted truth and been baptized in Jesus' name, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, so it's that truth that we've got to hold on to, and, and we've got to, you know, I, I probably won't ever have anything fancy to give to my kids. I'm probably not going to have a, a Super Bowl ring. I'm not going to have a million dollars to hand down. I'm probably not going to have a nice antique car or a nice gun to hand down to my kids, but I'm going to hand them down truth. And I hope that they'll take it and they'll hand it down to the next generation. Yeah. The thing is, is the truth isn't just some abstract idea. The truth is a person as well. Yeah. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so a relationship with the truth is, the tr it is a relationship with Jesus. That's right. Brother Maupin, we're going to be wrapping up here pretty quickly. Um, Brian and I would definitely like to take this second real quick and be like, we know you travel all the time, and we're blessed to have you here at 930 at night, an hour from your house, whenever you're actually in town. Um, we, we like to end every podcast with a uh, recommended reading and a final thought. But before you do, um, I would like for you to, if somebody is looking for an evangelist to come and visit them, how could they get a hold of somebody like you? Um, I'm on all social media outlets. Um, I have uh, my own personal and also our ministry, Consuming Fire International. Um, and so you could find me easily on that. I'm also on the ALJC website, uh, Evangelist Department. Um, and then most every website that has our ministry or the ALJC will have my phone number and contact information on there. Um, so as Tony said, uh, we're about to ask you for recommended reading, but before that, you come in and you do a lot of ministry in churches. To people that are out there that are listening that are either young ministers or just members of a church that want to get involved in what God is doing whenever an evangelist comes in and gets done preaching and does the altar call or their pastor gets done preaching and does the altar call and someone goes to that altar looking to have an encounter with the Lord and it is time for them to work the altars. What are some practical things we can do to better present um, the connection between God and that individual through praying with people on the altars? Okay, so very practical. Don't have stinky breath. Be certified. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the biggest turnoffs. Somebody's got stinky breath trying to pray with you. Uh, be polite. Um, you know, don't, don't shake them trying to push them down to the ground don't you know one person yelling hold on the other person lets in let go um <laughs> don't scream in their ear i mean i had i've had people i had somebody because of times and i hope they're not listening because i still don't know to this day who it was that did it but they screamed in my ear like i guess they were prophesying over me and screamed in my ear to the point where i don't care if it was it was the greatest word i'd ever heard in my life right I, 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 because my ear was hurting so bad, I didn't receive the word. So, yeah. um, so be polite. Don't scream. Don't spit in people's faces. You know, I try to flow with the the, the the altar service. I try to flow with the spirit. I just try to pray people and whatever I feel. And you know, a lot of times you can tell whenever you're praying for somebody uh, if you've tapped into something because you'll yeah. say something and tears will start flowing or they'll tense up. Um, if it's somebody, sometimes I'll just go up and introduce myself if they're not like really praying. 
and just say, hey, what, what are you needing God to do for you? And they'll tell me, if, you know, if it's the Holy Ghost, I, I, a lot of times I'll ask them, do you know what repentance is? If, if they don't, I, I tell them what it is. And then I walk them through a repentant prayer, not a, not a sinner's prayer or, you know, I'm saved prayer. Just walking them through repentance. And I tell them, as soon as you repent, lift your hands and receive, receive what God has for you. And almost every time if they repent, well, every time if they truly repent, but almost every time that you walk them through that repentant prayer, God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I like that, that, that you go and you're asking them questions. And there was a, a the guy that, um, Jordan Belfort, that was known as being the Wolf of Wall Street, who went to prison for whatever, manipulating all this money. Well, the thing is, the dude was a master salesman. And he was on um, MSNBC or something. I think, I, I can't, uh, who was it that interviewed him? The, the British guy that, um, oh, I can't remember. I'll, I'll think of it after the pod. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so the guy was asking him, and he gave him as a salesman, gave him the hypothetical, uh, well, if you're the greatest salesman in the world, sell me this pen. And he was like, well, the, the thing is with the sale is I always start with the question. He's like, first of all, I ask you, are you in the market for a pen? And if, if they are, are they, if they are, then that's whenever I offer them the pen. If they're not in the market, then I ask them, well, when are you going to be in the market for the pen? Yeah. And if they're not going to be in the market, just like with, when Tony used to sell cars, if they're not in the market to sell cars, then we're wasting our time trying to, uh, to, to sell to them. And I think sometimes in the altar, there are people that are there for whatever their reason may be. And if we don't ask a question, we're praying for something they're not even in the quote-unquote market for exactly. at that time. And the other thing I, I think that it, it's humorous when you talk about people yelling in the ear and stuff, I think sometimes we get confused. Dominion is not screaming. Amen. You can have, take dominion over the enemy and, over, and take authority over a situation, and you don't have to, to be screaming. Now, of course, in, in the apostolic context, we put a premium on loudness. Right. And, 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 and rightfully so. It's certainly more fun, certainly more entertaining, but it doesn't mean it's always the most effective. Right. And so, I mean, I, I get passionate. I yell whenever I preach too, but, but it can't just be yelling for the sake of yelling. It can't be, well, if I yell, that shows I've taken dominion or that I have the authority here. Yeah, the, devil, the devil's not hard of hearing. Right. It, it's, not, it's not about what, what, how you're saying, it's what you're saying, it's the words you're saying. So, I mean, some of the greatest preachers I know that they never lift their voice they, when they preach. They, and then they're most effective. So, one of my favorite preachers is one of the most quietest preachers, <laughs> J. H. Osborne. I was that's who I was actually <laughs> thinking in my mind whenever I said that. But yeah. Um, yeah, he 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 does. I've never heard him scream or yell, but I've heard him in uh, in a pulpit and also talking to me one on one minister to me greater than most people ever have screaming at me. So, yeah, yeah some of the greatest. Uh, ministry moments I've had were just somebody calling me on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't have to pull the phone yeah, away from yeah, my face either. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> didn't have to turn the Bluetooth down, no, did you? No. Brother Maupin, what is some books you're reading right now that you would strongly recommend? Well, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm a horrible book reader because what I do— That's two for two on guests tonight, Brian. No, no, no. I'm not saying <laughs> I don't ever read, but, like, I'm a guy that I will read, and I think it's just—I I think if, I'd, if it had been popular when I was a kid, I'd have had ADHD or whatever. I'll read a book and get about—like, you wouldn't believe the books I have at home with bookmarks in them <laughs> that I've not finished. 
And I'm trying to get better at that and trying to read better. Uh, But some of my all-time favorite books, of course, is uh, I love uh, Tale of Three Kings and Prisoner in the Third Cell. Those are probably two two great books that I recommend a lot to We've got a lot of recommended readings from that. Yeah, um, those are great books. Um, One book that I'm very interested in getting into, I haven't started it yet, is The Samson Syndrome. I've I've had a lot of people tell me some great things about that book. and so, uh, you know, for me to give a bunch of a bunch of recommendations, uh, I, I don't like to give recommendations until I finish the book. And I've read several books, but just off the top of my head, the the Gene Edwards books are are what I recommend most of the time. But yeah. I've got several other that I've got to finish before um, I go all the way in. But you know, anything, you know, I, I recommend getting your hands on anything. Definitely finish a book before you recommend it because he's going to recommend a book and it's going to end by saying, and that's why there's three gods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, even if you read a book that, that isn't by an apostolic person that doesn't believe like us, you know, there's still good stuff in there. Great value. You know, they say, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of books out there that not everything in that book's great, but there's there's nuggets in there. So. Um, uh, one of my favorite all-time books is the the David book, which I'm a huge David fan by. I believe it's Swindle, I think, wrote that. Uh, that's a great – he did a bunch of characters, uh, character books of, of different people in the Bible. So um, maybe if we ever do this again, I can give you some, some better recommendations of stuff I've finished. Well, the, the book you recommended is we've got a lot of recommendations for. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, we're sold. We're sold on it. Um, we, we want to give you this opportunity now to speak your heart. Uh, anything that, that either you want to unburden yourself with, someone you want to, maybe there's an individual out there, a, a type of individual you want to directly minister to, just share a thought on something. Uh, but uh, anyway, the floor is yours just to, to talk about whatever it is you just feel led to speak on. Well, guys, I want to once again say thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed this. This has been a great time, and uh, I'm hum- humbled and honored both at the same time that you've asked me to come and be a part of this. Thankful it worked out my schedule uh, to make it happen. Uh, but I-, I guess I have a, a weak spot in-, in me because, I, you know, you kind of gravitate towards people that are like you. And so I, I like to minister to people who who do struggle with their, their personal uh, value and worth. Um, and I'd just like to say, you know, it – and once again, please, I'm not, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just saying, look what God, I'm bragging on God. I'm saying, look what God can do. If you, if you would look at where I come from and not, I have amazing parents, best parents in the world that sacrificed for me and my brothers, but we didn't, we weren't fancy. We weren't rich. We didn't have uh, all the nicer things in life. And I'm thankful I didn't because it made me, had, I have character today because of that, because of my upbringing. I had a dad that 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 you know disciplined me very heavily and i'm thankful for that because i would i wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that but when when i look at where i came from to where i'm at today it blows my mind that the god has that god chose me out of everybody in this world to do what i do uh the fact that i've preached on every continent except for antarctica that i've preached in numerous countries and numerous states and i've preached on conferences and camp meetings and and youth things and revivals it, it just I, literally when i try to try to grab a hold of it it blows my mind so i just want to speak to the person the, the michael Maupin out there that that you you feel like you're never going to amount to anything you don't feel like you, that you, you know you i had that middle child syndrome growing up where i felt like my brothers were better than me and my parents loved them better than me um and so i want to speak to people like that 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 feel like that 
that they're not they're not anything they'll never amount to anything let me tell you that if you will trust in god and you will give yourself to god and you'll surrender to him and his purpose for your life god can do amazing things in your life Amen. i'm a standing I'm, I'm 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 here today as a witness of that guys we thank you so much for tuning in i, I want to give a, a final thought myself brian we have talked about quite a bit of things here but I just want to encourage somebody that if you've lost your burden or you've lost your passion that you know God has specifically called you for, find a place or find a person you can reconnect with that can help you rekindle that because, God, like Brother Maupin said, God has specifically called you for a specific reason. Don't let your mind or don't let others or, or something that has no connection to God's calling detour you from that. Make sure that you find someone or something that you can connect to, that you can hold value to, that you can trust, that can get that fire rekindled. You've been listening to The Crucial Conversation.